Hi, this is Sharice Kenyon, and you're listening to the Beauty Me podcast, all about beauty beyond the BS. In this episode, I sit down with my guest, Atawaji Victor. She is a London-based beauty and lifestyle writer of Nigerian heritage, and she writes for the likes of Black Ballad and the UK editions of Elle and Vogue. And I really feel that she's going to be somebody to watch because she's definitely on this mission to discuss the politics of beauty much further than what we see now in the mainstream. This conversation to me is full of joy and so insightful. I loved looking back on it for editing. In this conversation, Atta brings up so many thoughtful subjects, such as why we work the way we do, why work and labor are so prized and praised in society and online. And she explains why she has a neutral view of her body, which allows her to see herself as so much more than the physical form. Atta's mother comes up a lot in this conversation, and it's clear to see that she is the reason why Atta has such a healthy yet neutral view of her body. And she's also the one that taught Atta how to find the right foundation. We discuss makeup even further and we talk about how it's all about expression. And towards the end, Atta brings up a really interesting concept of why it's time for us to reclaim the word beautiful, which obviously is often associated with what we put on our face via makeup and how we make ourselves feel beautiful. So I definitely think it's something that's up for discussion. I'd love to know what you think. Finally, if you're a budding beauty writer, listen out for Atta's offer of advice. That doesn't always come along. I myself as a writer, I never really had the opportunity. So if that's where you want to be, stay tuned. Have a listen. I genuinely wake up and just look at the ceiling. I, I wish I had a more like a, like a reason behind it. I know people be like, "Oh, it's brilliant! You don't touch your phone." No, it's literally. I just think right now in both my life and the world, it feels like there's constant background noise, and sometimes I just need to feel my body like as it is. Um, I like to wake up with natural light, so I have no curtains like. Well, I have curtains, but they're sheer, um, which makes when like daylight savings that like winter time quite hard because I wake up and my brain is basically like, this isn't this isn't working. It's nighttime, go back to bed. Um, which is why I constantly say that I think work like nine to five. This is such a massive tantrum. I believe that nine to five working systems should move according to, to like daylight like I genuinely believe that half of like SAD and all of those things that happen in the winter happens because you're waking up when your literal body would look and feel like it's still time to rest and I don't believe there's a way to hack your body in a way that ignores that so you know. Have you heard about the new trend um, for waking up at five Mm. You do stuff at home till nine, yeah. then you go to work nine till five, and then from five till nine when you're at home, it's basically a way of making us work <laughs> way even longer. Yeah. Even longer. I also, I was saying something to one of my friends because those people always go, oh, like, do you love what you do? And I, I say, I, there's elements of it that I love, but I never use the word love. I say I like what I do because I rarely, if ever, aspire to labour. 
And I think it's quite a strange concept that we've been taught to do and and want. And I know that even saying this is quite a privilege because that isn't the reality for many people. But um, yeah, like rest. Rest means that the work that you produce is 10 times better. So completely against um, waking up, going um, and doing all of that. I know you said it. It's privilege, but there's also part of it that comes with understanding and generational changes and technology, mm. how that helps us at work. And, you know, back in the day, people were literally working themselves into the ground. And it would, what would be the reasons just to have a roof over your head? That was always yeah. the thing. It wasn't about enjoyment, it wasn't about mm. job satisfaction. So I think yeah. things. I get it. There's a privilege because some people, I mean, some people have to work multiple jobs just to pay bills, not enjoy life. They're not the people making the TikToks, showing very glamorized versions of that, right? It's someone on a night bus that is having to do that isn't showing me them making a matcha latte at 5 a.m. And that is very, I think that is a very different, that's why I, 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 I come down quite harsh on it because. I know the, the people that in order to live are doing that in no way is that like a choice. It isn't a badge of honor to work yourself to the ground for people that have to do it. So it's, it's interesting to me when people like exercise choice to do it, but I'm, I'm never going to be like, yeah, um, that's, that's what we should all be doing. <laughs> I, I want to see that TikTok. Because you're so right. It's like people that, you know, wake up in the dark, go home really, really in the dark. It is not about solid eight hours sleep. It's not about sleep hygiene. It's not about meditation, double cleanse. Like, no, they're all luxury. Their livelihood. And when you, if if you ever speak to anybody that works like that, I've only, I again, I live in my life, so I can only say this is like, two people in my lifetime I've met they're they're aware of the things that they miss the time with family the yeah even being able to go to the doctor because your body is so tired so and I I feel very grateful and aware of my job and and how fortunate I am to work like this so I'm not gonna then take someone else's um what's the word the oxes have when I don't know. Burden. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to go out and buy someone's burden is what sometimes it feels like. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned matcha latte there. Right? What's your beverage of choice when you get, yeah, you've, you've done the whole feeling your body? <laughs> <laughs> I need to know now. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm not anti-coffee, but coffee... I think I learned quite quickly just doesn't sit well with me and more more so because I'm quite a an energetic person um you might not be able to get that videos but (laughs) yeah like it genuinely it 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 feels like um I don't know if I can say this it feels like the equivalent of if you gave me crap like go to cane like it it gets my mind onto a plane that is like uncontrollable and, and is very rarely um, suited for the environment that I'm in. And then also in terms of sleep, I'm not going to say I'm the best sleeper. I have a quite an extensive now sleep routine because I try to have 
like healthy sleep and like good sleep more than I'm not like precious about the hours I want the sleep itself to be good and I want to wake up rested but if I drink coffee like 11am I already know I'm not going to bed till like three it just affects me like that so yeah so I am a matcha drinker (laughs) um mostly because I love one I love multiple drinks which I found out I basically a couple of months out ago I, I found out that I've got ADHD. I, I feel like most people in my life thought that I did. I had loads of the presentations, but yeah. Um, and now I realize that having multiple drinks at any time is like a, like a simulation like thing. Um, regardless, I'm, I, I'm going to claim it as something that is down to my personality rather than, um, a symptom. So I just love, I love the mixing. I, I love all of, the like process of making matcha and like I said I'm really aware of how fortunate I am to work how I work because I work predominantly at home still till this day so taking that extra five minutes is something I know people would want so I'm gonna do it um but yeah so I will also make breakfast breakfast is a big thing I'm an eater (laughs) I love (laughs) yeah and yeah, so I'll do that um, before, like, so when I get out of bed after staring at the ceiling, I'll generally like wash my face and put on an SPF just because shower wise, again, I'm very, it's um, basically a running theme you'll see with me is I'm, I'm someone that the thing that you have to do doesn't have to be mundane. So even if it's a 15 minute shower, I want to like feel my skin. Does that make sense? So you're very in tune with your, and you've mentioned, Mm. you know, like the energy Mm. and being in touch with yourself. I think Mm. a lot of people would really, really benefit massively from that Mm. because it's easy to ignore yourself. It's easy to roll out of bed, wash your face, not look in the mirror, get something down you and get out but it's I love how it sounds like you like a ritual you'd like to make the most of things yeah and then I also think our bodies our minds they tell us stuff and they're 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 the one thing we consistently have and yeah we do I do think we ignore them recently I've used the term just because most people like understand it more of like I'm body neutral but down to the point where I will wear the extra pointy shoes because they look beautiful but afterwards (laughs) when I get home I'll like massage my feet because I know that I did that to them and I can feel it and in the long run at least I hope it means I can be like my body can be as active as my mind when my body like goes on in life does that make sense like that basically I'm not I'm not particularly like uber healthy I wish I could be like a bone broth drink like I'm I'm not that oh gosh I've got a slow cooker downstairs just waiting to be taken out of the box (laughs) (laughs) so yeah no I'm I'm not that at all um I will eat the cheese I will eat the sugar it's more so I think life is long I know people always say life is short I think the opposite I think life is so long and there's so many variations of me that I haven't met yet. And I want her to have strong knees. So <laughs> I'll look at But tell me, that, please tell me, you know, 
explain that term body neutral for me just for everybody that's mm. listening define it for us yeah so i think over the last few years we've seen like a massive like body positivity movement so thanking your body being very in love with your body loving your scars your all the flaws people use a lot of the time and neutrality is more of a center point so there are bits of my body I love but when I address my body it's more so you are the thing that means I get to be a good sister you are the thing that means I get to eat you are the thing that means I get to talk to you on this rather than this thing of beauty or this thing of terror which it sometimes think you sometimes end up in that back and forth especially as women where it always has to be something I think that goes back to even how how I think about labor like I don't believe base core human beings need to earn their place on the earth and um existing like just existing is okay and that isn't always allowed or celebrated and I don't want to I don't want to like um I was perhaps to swear but I, I don't want to crap you can, on... you can swear I don't want to crap on like the body positive movement because if you've had negative self-talk and all those different things for years to switch over like you do need something as radical as that to bring it like to bring you to a more positive and just like you can get on with your life stance but for me I was I was quite fortunate if I'm really honest like my own mother even with her bits of negative self-talk when she hears this she's gonna laugh it's it's always counteracted with I'm the hottest woman ever so she's not it wasn't like she wasn't affected by um their massive diet culture like industry that affects everyone in so many different um ways so she would point out like oh I think I'm getting a bit like fat which again that isn't an inherently bad word like all of those things but when she would leave dressed up to the nines she would always be like take a photo of me I look great and very aware of the fact that she was awesome so I think growing up around that um and then equally being aware, like I, I've been quite straight sized and like conventional looking for, for my race as well, my whole life. So a lot of the things that would have reinforced negative self-talk haven't really happened to me. So yeah, so I, I think that's also like, I have to acknowledge that's one of the reasons why I can be neutral. But yeah, it just means I get out the shower. And I look at myself and I'm looking and I'm thinking more like, ooh, today my eyes are where we're going rather than all like I want to accentuate my eyes to make my lips smaller. It's more like, great, today if I'm playing with makeup, that's where I'm going with it because it's just a canvas. It's just, it's just a piece of flesh. It's not my soul. It's not my mind. All these things that make me great my body is just one aspect of, of that yeah I love that I could listen to you all day oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like we're in a good spot actually to take things backwards because you know you mentioned your mum there would mm. you say 
your mum is the first person that makes you think of beauty in the world or did it come from somewhere else? Um, yeah, I think definitely. I, I would say the women in my life at large because, yeah, like, you can't tell my mum that we are not the, the prettiest girls. Like, I'm one of three sisters. So that I've got oh, me too. Oh, nice. How great. Yeah, I, I just put I'm that on. I'm the eldest. I'm the eldest. Yeah. It's not great. <laughs> my eldest is Take good. care of your big sister. Like, no. She she now lives 10 minutes down the road and we're like the best of friends. Um, and and yeah, we've, we've had to have a lot of honest conversations. Um, mostly in the pandemic because we all ended up living together in this house without any parents and it was it was a moment it needed to happen but um yeah so I, I, oh, I, I have more empathy towards an older sibling now than I did let's say three years ago um but yeah like you couldn't you till this day you probably cannot tell my mum that we are not the prettiest people ever because we came from her like Love it. it's not it's not completely um it's not without its own ex- external motives like she's always someone that took pride in her appearance and that was something that she instilled in us quite from early on which again this makes it seem like I always I'm like there's always a bad there's like yeah but um a lot of that comes from being here and being really aware of of how people will receive three black girls a black woman and so even within her own words, she would say that some of it was because she re- just loves like skincare. Like I, I think one of one like massive memory forever. Um, and I'm saying massive memory because it was multiple times. It's just walking across beauty halls. Like the smell of beauty halls makes me feel like I'm a child because we were in them so much and my mum would be asking all the questions and be like mm, well actually over here on this counter this is what they were saying or this is what I looked like after they did my face and she was quite a critical consumer which is why I think I am now if thing if, if it doesn't work I'm never gonna say it does I'm not gonna work extra hard with a product no matter how many people have raved about it to make it work because it just might work on someone else and that's okay so we will leave that um just going to beauty halls and um watching her work essentially was a big thing and um even the process of getting your like first foundation was quite a was like a milestone like in my house birthdays like the one five ten etc a big but so was getting a foundation like going to really i love that yeah um at the time it was mac for everyone for me there was a bit of a, a mix so for me my first was um bobby brown i have always been the extra child <laughs> and then i also think by the time that i was allowed to wear makeup the industry had just was was wider and had better options and more shade options. So Mac wasn't my first thought when I had done my own research and done my own like exploration. I knew that's where I wanted to go, and I don't know if you can tell, but um, self advocacy and um, standing up for yourself is a big thing. It was a big thing for my household. 
So if oh, you, I love that. Yeah. It's important. You, it's like your mum gave you the tools to cope with what's outside and mm. online, I feel. You mm. know, I love my love my parents, love my mum, but I didn't have any older sisters. Yeah. Um, my mum's white, so it wasn't really like I mean, I would look up to her as in I loved makeup, but yeah. I don't I had to find my own way and you know, I'm light skinned but I'm so yellow and it's yeah. like, you know, I look pink or peach. It's, yeah. So I I just love how you just seem so rooted, like you know who you are. Mm. And you and all these other things just compliment you, makeup compliments you, you know. Mm. But I don't feel like it's essential. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um yeah. I think it's not, it's art. I I I often end up in conversations when people are like oh like why why are you wearing makeup like I don't know it'll be like breakfast and people or there's a photo of me I wouldn't do it again there's a photo of me on a boxing day walk a couple of years ago and I've got on a purple like base lipstick and then a glitter um like gloss like but like when I say gloss I mean like high shine the kind of thing that people normally put in like Halloween options yeah. and I'm there in my little puffer with nothing else on purely because I just want it was I woke up that day and I wanted purple lips and I think mainly because of beauty standards and the performance of beauty people miss the fun of it and they don't realize you even though I know I, I I put on makeup quite traditionally, but there's, yeah, there's so much of it that is playful and interesting and can add to your outfit, can take away from your outfit, can be the outfit. And I wish more people were accepting of that rather than seeing it always as a mask. Even though I am it's aware. It's expression. Mm. It's expression. I think, mm. I, I totally get what you mean. It's like, even today, there are still like some some kind of like loose rules. Like I might mm. speak to someone that's a similar skin tone to you, and they might be like, yeah. "Oh, I could never wear red." Yeah, oh, I could never wear a red lip. And I'm just like, mm. uh, "It will look the best on you," and mm. it's just having to unearth like all these like you don't have to stick with any rules because it comes mm. off. It's really okay. Like you can wear purple, and tomorrow you can wear green. It yeah. doesn't change anything inside. It's just. <laughs> It's expression. Um, I think I've been looking into that a lot lately because I'm doing this um, episode on Savage Fenty and I think how important yeah. that show is. Purely, I'm not into the lingerie. I don't like it. That's yeah. all of the story. But it's about expression. It's about showing anybody can do anything. Literally anybody can do anything, wear anything. It's You can take it off. You can yeah. wash makeup off. You can remove lashes. As long as you know who you are, it's really not, it's not about a mask. I think a mask used to be this really easy thing that men could use often to label different right. types of women. Yeah. And now so many more women wear makeup more yeah. than ever. Yeah. I also think sometimes it feels really reductive, not just to make it a mask, but to also crit like criticise when people talk about like the beauty industry or makeup being empowering and people be, will, will like, don't get me wrong. I, I do understand that making a product have like morality 
has its own like issues but why aren't we talking about a system that expects women to present in that way the the lipstick isn't the actual problem like I because I I work in the beauty industry I've had so many people that will go well but you know how it's made us all feel and I'm like even if makeup didn't exist and wasn't used as this tool to fix your flaws or make you better the pressures to present would still exist so let's deal with that and leave makeup as the fun thing and equally I, I think yeah it, it feels like sometimes it's scapegoated because it's something that predominantly women interact with because there's yeah. I can name so many things that are gendered but gendered male but those things aren't scrutinized in the same way that beauty is even though we know like not just for, for black women but for all women if you come to work if you go to interviews like the way people react to you changes we know we've experienced that yeah. whether or not it's just like the distinction between like girlhood like I explained going to get the foundation was like an adult thing it was like a the equivalent of puberty but oh, yeah yes. <laughs> um that the yeah the like societal implications of makeup I think people ignore often and either yeah it's very real I had um some not very great customer service at Boots recently mm. and I went in and they were going to give me a new advantage card with some points on it yeah and I put makeup on to go because I want this is pathetic I guess I wanted her to see that I'm a regular shopper and I yeah. take an effort with, make an effort with myself. Yeah. It, do I, do I think she would have judged me differently? Yes, she may well have actually, if I'd mm -hmm. gone in with a naked face, if it was an interview situation, there's absolutely mm -hmm. no way I would go for a job interview. Although thank God I yeah. had to go for one of those for a very long time. <laughs> there's no way I would go with no makeup. Just, no. It's just not. You wouldn't. Yeah. Does that make me fake? I don't know, but I just know mm. that on the other side, they'd be like, oh, mm. she looks, you, know, yeah, you, like, you know what I mean? Nobody would be like, oh, she looks fresh-faced. and Yeah, no, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's tough because we're, we're part of it and, mm. you know, we both like to write about beauty amongst other things, but there's the enjoyment side as well. So it's like, mm. it's just this road you have to go down mm. and discuss and acknowledge the ins and mm. outs. But Moving on, I just mm. wanted to talk to you about how you got to where you are today, you know, writing for the likes of Vogue. That is a mm. big, huge deal. I'm sorry, but anyone that's a, a writer, yeah. it's like up there, especially in the UK, especially since Edward Enninfall took over. Mm. But let's just give the listeners, if anyone's listening, that mm. has hopes of being someone like you, like writing on a wide range of I feel like you write on a wide range of things, but they all cross over into the self. Mm. Um, so yeah. can you give me some kind of brief history? <laughs> um, <laughs> so I feel like I went quite a traditional route. So I started off interning um, when I was around 19. So a few years back now, um, I was still at university. I studied English. Um, I stayed in London. I think 
probably my subconscious knew that it was because I wanted to in, like it like enter that world and it probably did affect how I chose my university which if you t- if you said that to me at the time I'd have gone no I've chosen it because of xyz but no I I think unfortunately even at 17 18 I was very aware that across the UK in terms of opportunity when it comes to these industries it's just not there like and that's not to say that talent doesn't exist in Bristol or Manchester but opportunity wise it is in London and I was born and bred here in London so it's it wasn't going to be something that I yeah didn't take an advantage of so started interning at that time if I'm truly honest it was quite a scary point of like the publishing industry everything felt like it was shutting down like every internship I would go to it was like the news of a new magazine a new glossy like new weekly gone Um, and then equally it meant that interning opportunities yeah were coming in, in less and less and um I do want to say that I when I was definitely like 16 17 emailed like a whole bunch of magazines asking if I could come in in half term which is so funny to think about um and heard nothing and my first um like shot came from someone I knew that I I met through my church network which is actually how I know Joy Matashi who um Joy's a friend Joy's a mutual friend by the way and she's been on the show before she's lovely she's amazing Mm -hmm. she's brilliant at hair she's like out of this world um so you met Joy through church I did yes when I was like 12 um (laughs) but every early opportunity I got came from that network and I don't know if enough people are honest about the fact that it is it is virtually impossible to get your foot in without some sort of personal connection and that yeah that doesn't speak to your talent that doesn't speak to anything it's just kind of the way that it is now um it's one of the things I hope in my career um to change and now, like, I, one of the things I'm going to put on here is if you DM me and you ask for emails and help, I will always give it. Like, it's the one thing I will do because it gets really frustrating when you know that you've got the stuff and no one wants to give you a shot. Um, yeah, my first internship was over at Style, so Sunday Time Style. Um, and then from there, Grazia. And then I did basically a loop of most of the magazines in the UK right now. Um, like I said, there isn't many. So quickly I landed myself at L. Um, like within, yeah, let's say a year worth of interning and, or just over a year actually, I'm thinking because, and then whilst I was there, Every single time I would finish an internship, I would ask for new contacts. And I started off actually in fashion. I should have I should have mentioned that. I started off as a fashion um like intern. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think most people did because it was the most like visible access point, I would say. Um I didn't even know you could be a beauty writer. Like I read the beauty pages. Me and my like childhood friend would buy a Vogue and split it. 
like would split the price and, and flip through it. But in terms of names and stuff, it was designers that I, I knew and like fashion critics. That's who I knew, which I think comes across in my writing now that that's kind of who I grew up like reading. So finding out that you can form critique the same way that, um, film and um art has its own people and now beauty is starting to have people and that's kind of, of where I feel like my voice fits yeah so I was doing that um and I did I went across basically every department but like the art desk because I, like, I want to learn I'm someone that's that good. I love learning I need to get in I need my fingers like in every pie um and then finally I was at style I think my second time around, I spoke to Shay Momoa, who's currently over at Glamour, doing a brilliant job. And I was like, oh, like, I really think beauty is where I sit. It's got the best mix of, um, that you could profile, but you get shoots. There's, there was just so many of the, the elements of fashion, um, features and other things that I had done all in that one space. So she she hooked me up with Ava, who I realize you've had on the podcast when she was at Stylist, and it just went from there. And um, after that, ended up in uh, internship at Vogue, and then the pandemic happened. <laughs> so pandemic happened probably two weeks into that internship. Um, I stayed on because I had basically I was freshly out of uni and. It seemed like the world was exploding and I wasn't going to have an opportunity to do anything. And I was really fortunate that at the time, Kathleen Bob Murray just sat, yeah, well, Zoom sat me down and was like, what do you want? What do you want from this industry? And we figured out a way for me to continue working there up until November I'm not going to get the whole way into my whole career, but a lot of my career has been situations like that, like not necessarily the application or the title being presented, but like speaking quite honestly about what I want to write, what I want to put out in the world, people resonating with that and then giving me a shot and like finding a way for me to be there. So yeah, so they found a way and they kept me. And then, and then I went back to L at the end of that year, so end of 2020. Um, and then here we are. <laughs> <laughs> but tell me, what is it that you love to write about? Obviously, I know as a beauty writer, you will have to do, there's certain things you have to write about. Yeah. <laughs> but what are the things that interest you? Mm, I think a lot of the things that we've been discussing. So, the social and like political side of beauty because I know there's there's quite a few um journalists now that I read and I like interact with and, and you've got brilliant videos like explaining the like historical side of this massive industry and breaking down like like artists and influencers that have shaped how we see our, our faces at this point um and that's just what I like to amplify. And, and I love speaking to brand founders. I love um, innovation. And that just ends up naturally crossing over with critiques and explorations into 
beauty rather than straight reviews. Yeah, I think reviews are just, um, like I said, you have to be able to write about everything because yeah. your editor needs, you know, but <laughs> there's just there's just so much more to beauty. I think that's mm. why I even started this podcast. I will talk about lip gloss and how much I love the Pat McGrath lip liners mm. that I'm wearing today. I'm obsessed, but it's yeah. like, let's just talk about the things that make us who we are, that make us not feel so great. Like I loved mm. you talking about body neutral earlier. It's like, mm. that's already made me think I need to do something on that because yeah. it's the beauty industry could change tomorrow. It, it does change all the time. Mm -hmm. I am very conscious of the sustainability of it yeah. because yeah. packaging is just, but mm. you know, there's always going to be underlying all of that. There's always going to be you in your body, like mm. how you feel and how you feel affects how you look and how you look can affect how you feel. Yeah. Um, if you could write about anything, what's your dream Ooh. feature or what are you thinking of working on now that you're just dying to get your teeth into? Gosh, that is a very hard question. <laughs> um, mostly because I just, I I think there's so, there's just so much, and I would I would if I'm honest want to talk more about. Um, I am basically obsessed with my teenage years. I know that's not that's not very original. I'm not necessarily obsessed with teenage me. I wouldn't I wouldn't. I'm not going back there. That's not for me. And <laughs> I love and I, and I brilliant and I had a really good teenage like, experience but I'm I'm really interested in the, the the like internet space and its effect on beauty and that early moment of um, almost the piercing of the veil between backstage and what we see like as consumers because I think it, it informs the way that even with fashion like how we now see like artisans showing us the process like you would have had to go on to the very depths of youtube like early youtube to find someone making a loewe bag now that is content that's how people market their brands i think a lot of that's come from personal branding and, and how much of self we have to give out in order to to connect with people but also to sell to people if we're really frank and honest but I don't think there's been enough conversations about how that moment created a disconnect between an industry that was already thriving and going and moving and, and it's kind of how we're now seeing trends even or like techniques being discovered and that only oh, really that's, yeah. because that whole argument because nothing was, is new but, nothing, but it's new to people it is yeah, new to yeah. certain people and it they get excited but i think it, it, it it's new to people because unless you were like a real like industry head and you were watching all the documentaries and you were finding out who val garland was your first introduction to quite high high-end makeup or um makeup as an art form rather than just like Miss Curran go out would have come from beauty gurus and would have come from people that weren't even explaining the history behind it they weren't saying 
actually I did I think there's a few I can't I can't say I can't like generalize actually Mm -hmm. there would have been a few that were like oh I was on a map counter but they wouldn't have explained on that map counter they would have had countless um in-house makeup artists that taught them techniques that would have have explained things and and they would have been part of innovation and that's where their knowledge has come from so I think there was a there there was a there was and still is a massive disconnect in beauty history that was that was yeah like was made by the internet and that moment and I know for a lot of people like my age myself included we're having to almost go back and get the physical books in order to find out where these things that we're very aware well not everyone but I'm aware like there's no way that just arrived but you wouldn't have had access in the way that you you did when it was traditional media because those people would have been credited underneath they would have yeah so it it, it is interesting it's why I love masterclasses and the style of 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 how I'm going back to Bobby Brown you can watch a masterclass there you can watch a Pat McGrath like masterclass and they're giving you information that they even have gotten from those that have come before them so yeah so uh, yeah I'm really I I I love I think that's been one of the best crossover events because I like to consume stuff via video that is I'm a digital native that is how I was taught to consume stuff so I'm not going to necessarily go to a class that isn't innate to me but getting those people working alongside new gen beauty experts working in, in a medium that we all now understand and can be educated by, I think has like untold power. <laughs> can you tell I love it? <laughs> no, but not to make it about me, but yeah. <laughs> you've really, you've really solidified why I make t- TikToks. Mm-hmm. That's really helpful to me because um, I feel like I bridged the gap between like having to rely on books and then it was the internet yeah. and now it's like video and video I've always been slower to because I'm mm. self-conscious and yeah. you know, my skin goes up and down and but I've been really making an effort with TikToks and they've always been about linking things mm. so like yes this is from now but did you know it was around 2016 mm. and then before that it was around in like the late 80s and trying to yeah. sew things together and you've made like thank you you've made me think what I'm doing can make sense so thank That's you really for that. I, <laughs> I am your audience <laughs> <laughs> no I love it oh one second my husband slash producer has just mentioned beauty I think he was reading recently about beauty content burnout so mm. it's kind of a two-sided thing for you do you believe that it exists but mm. also have you experienced it um so yes and no and I'm going to relate it I would say to the wider content creation industry of I think we're reaching I think we've already reached if I'm honest a stopping point when it comes to enthusiasts I don't think people want content anymore from the everyday influencer, which worked for a really significant, probably around 10 years now. And that's how YouTube, that's how we got this space, essentially. 
I don't think people want that because they're very aware that a lot of the people, especially now late stage of this industry, are getting into it to fund their own career. And that's fine. I don't think self-ambition is something that should be demonized, especially when it's rewarded so much in our like society. Like I think it's quite bonkers to be annoyed at people for wanting more money when that's what we praise. We elevate (laughs) and amplify people for getting the thing, but you want to shame people for aspiring to it. Doesn't make any sense to me. And then, which I need to, I need to, um, to tangent off of I don't personally aspire to it which annoys a lot of people because they're like but then you could be doing this you could be, like, you oh, could be yes you could be I'm making like, well, but I know what I'm doing and I know what my goal is so thank you but I'm all right um but yes so I think we're going to see more of what we are seeing so I've I've referenced probably around a million times but I think it's because she's one of the clearest examples of even do you remember a couple of months ago she did that like she react that the, the like the foundation yeah the like troll the like trolling reaction so it's one thing for a victoria beckham or etc cetera, etc cetera, to come on to the site there's another thing it's another thing to then learn the language and like become one of yeah. of the internet people does that make sense because she didn't have to do that that was you're talking about for her own brand her newer brand jones road Um, and somebody had criticized how you use her foundation because you know tiktok they're always doing the the challenges put the whole pot on the face um but i thought wow she's expressing individuality even Mm -hmm. though she's also a brand which could Mm -hmm. be seen as kind of dangerous but she's like Yeah, I'm I'm going into that space. Yeah. Like I'm not just producing ads. Mm. I'm gonna be there. Mm. Um so yeah, yeah, sorry. I think she's like a hands-on ex- like like um example of that. But I think plenty of the people that have you you've even had as guests are really good examples of that, of we're seeing journalists become content creators. Some of that is because of our industry being what it is with pay and things like that. <laughs> but now, even like skin influencers, we're seeing aestheticians become more so than someone that would have been shiny or spoken to you in a dialect that you understand. Like, and when I say dialect, I literally mean like internet speak because internet speak tiktok speak which is different to instagram speak yeah like it is it's dialects right i think we're going to reach a burnout when it comes to enthusiasts not with experts and we're going to see more user-generated content all of that come from experts we're going to see yeah i think we're going to see we're already starting to see it in-house magazines farming out their talent that have had 10 years 15 years worth of stuff onto tiktok onto these things and because they'll be able to speak the language people won't notice that they're essentially like undercover officers does that make sense um no it makes so much sense it makes so much sense because i think you know tiktok's the most recent example we have i I don't use be real do you use be real as well yeah i love be real okay so i guess that's the latest latest but Mm. i feel that things happen they come out and everybody that's a certain age or interest jumps on it and they master it and then 
like you said, I know so many makeup artists that have come on and they said, when Instagram first came out, we would get criticized for yeah. sharing what we were doing. People would be like, mm. you're not serious. Like, it's yeah. just about the work. 10 years later, those people have mastered Instagram, yeah. TikTok, and they are teaching the real stuff. So, mm. and this is nothing against people that are influencers and set out to be influencers, mm. makeup and stuff, but it's starting to show that the ones that had the talent taught mm. to them and they've honed it over thousands of hours on mm. many different faces are now able to use the language of today to explain those things if they're willing to and they're getting like a whole new audience like they're really wowing people rather than someone yeah. sitting in their room saying oh I got this palette let me put yeah. it on and 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 if I'm honest because of how much your real life of your real life you're expected to give in that like I know people use the word parasocial relationship. We, as viewers, I'm saying me, because I still, there's people I watch, you then see them not use the palette in real time. So that there's not, like, being able to stay in the game as an enthusiast influencer rather than an expert one requires you to give up, not even give up, to share, I should say, your, like, the whole of your life. It doesn't often expect that of ex experts. So if I never, ever, like if I do a makeup tutorial and I never, ever pick up the palette again, you won't know that because I'm not showing you my house tour. <laughs> so that's why I think we're going to see that shift. I would say to further expand on the question, we're going to see a product burnout. I think we've got to that point. I know I was in when like massive like 90 pan palettes were the only thing that everyone bought so then I think that burnout is being reflected in product launches it's a Charlotte Tilbury for like a quad and things like that so there's more product launches but in terms of how long it takes you to get through a product I don't think that things are lasting you six months anymore they are if you use them every day they're gone um yeah foundation bottles are this big and all things like that so yeah it's interesting it is and what about personally then how are you doing you i mean i'm guessing because mm -hmm. you love beauty and you love to consume yeah you haven't felt the burnout yet um no i will say i currently have almost an identical base routine like what I do on the base doesn't change no matter where I'm going what I'm doing and I am now someone that will switch out like before I would have like been trying three primers on a go like things like that and that doesn't happen as much I'm more likely to try shadows and things like that and um I'm also again aware of of how wasteful it can often be so even like right now in my eyes I have three separate things going on because I will I won't just go in one palette per day I'll try and get across like four um and create something new which is also like I've never done this before like and well, it looks amazing is it so like is it blue or purple it's a... blue yeah so it's pat on the bottom like behind that's the shading and then it's a Laura Mercier um pen because I love 
I the love, caviar pens. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, so good. I love a pen. I love a, a liquid, like just anything you can swipe. It's my favorite because you can just go with it. And then I've got a little bit of, um, I never say her name right, but um, Isamaya or Isamaya. Isamaya. I think it's, I used to say Isamaya, but I think it's Isamaya. Yeah, like patted over the top. Oh, so, I've got that on today yeah. as well. Oh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> Every time I speak, so we're like, oh, like, how can you use that as an everyday palette? And I said, trust me. You trust have to get, me. I think it freaks people out that it's a different texture as well. Yeah. Some of like the black ones, they're almost like doughy. They are. It's just. But I think that's what allows it to be so transitional and mm. makes it not, if I wore, I don't know, like, I'm not going to name any names because I love glitters. If I wore some of the other glitters that I own on a Monday, it would be too much. Whereas it's so finely milled. Yes. It's only when you catch the light that people notice um, that you've got something on. And when you're looking straight ahead, like right now, it's just the dimension. You can see there's more dimension to it rather than it being like, you've got a glitter eye on a (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay last question now mm. tell me what makes you the the best the most beautiful version of you what is it what are you doing what are you feeling mm. what is yeah. it for you I think my as in like in my body most beautiful it is a Friday night I love going out on a Friday night it's my favorite thing and I will do a Friday face and that will be my most dramatic, like up to my eyebrows. So dramatic for me is still quite tame. So, you know, you're going to <laughs> Okay. Paint me a picture then. What, um, tell me the Friday night face. What's the it extra? Is what's the eyes. Extra? It, it's a lash. So I'm really right now, I'm obsessed with Kiss has those like falsified. Individuals. And yeah, cause I, 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 I love makeup that looks like an extension of me. Like it is, that is my uh, place to, to not die. But yeah, like that's where I love being. Um, big blush, big eyes, low lip, because if I'm honest, I like to explore different bits of my face at different times. So right now I'm like, okay, I'm going back into lip probably for the winter. And for that, I want to like see what liners are nice, see what um, lipsticks I I enjoy. I don't love just like putting it on for the sake of. Um, So yeah, so it's it's big hair. Um, I am a curly girl. I am, um, I was watching a video from Treasure Tress earlier and it was like you after a silk press and she's like shaking her hair. I, I've been that girl. I, when I had a ponytail as a kid, I'd be swishing it. I'm a big hair girl. I, I, my hair is, is me. Um, so yeah, so I'll film my most beautiful then and, um, take a few photos. Maybe someone's my mom who will always go, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, so I feel the most beautiful then. Um, I think when I was, when I wrote up my explanation, I was saying that I don't shy away from the word beautiful because I think you put in quite a nice, um, sorry, I realise this is audio. When um, she's asked me the question, you did put in that 
like sometimes people feel a bit of discomfort towards the word beautiful but I I feel like that maybe is our next word to reclaim um yeah and and not just because well you know from speaking to me now that being beautiful is the best thing that women can be I don't believe that at all like it really isn't but beauty has a it is it's a weighted currency and ignoring that and being like you're everything else I think isn't isn't truthful and as you can probably tell I don't like yeah dishonesty well the tagline of my show is beauty beyond the bs so yes I fully get like let's be real about it you be real that being called beautiful makes you feel some way because we've been told that beautiful is a word to cover. Mm. And now saying to other people that they shouldn't aspire to the word, it's the same thing as the money thing. I just think it's disingenuous. Like it's, it has weighted currency. Being beautiful has like social power. And so yeah so you the word itself accessing beauty I'm never going to go shy away from it or tell anyone else to like you do need to do the work of unpacking like how you see yourself because if an apocalypse happens and I don't have access to mascara like I'm not gonna cry like I'm I'm okay with what I look like but that can exist as well as being beautiful Thanks so much for listening. I really hope that you got the essence of what Atawaji is saying in this interview. As I mentioned, I found this conversation so joyful and insightful. I think Atawaji is someone that's really going to get us thinking. Be sure to check out her Instagram profile at Atawaji, which is spelled A-T-A-O-W-A-J-I. And don't forget, if you're a budding writer and you heard her offering advice, feel free. Her email address is in that Instagram profile. Don't take it for granted. Like, make something happen if that's what you want. Don't forget to subscribe and follow Beauty Me so you never miss an episode. You can also find me on Instagram at Beauty Me Podcast. Let me know what you thought of the episode. I'm also sharing TikToks at Sharice Kenyon and there's a newsletter too if you want even more. So sign up at beautybenotes.substat.com. I'll see you next time.